everybody. Welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. Happy New Year to everybody listening. I'm Tony Andracki playing host here alongside Andy Martinez, and we're breaking down all things from the international signing period that opened on January 15th. The Cubs had a class of, of international prospects that will now enter into their system, and Andy, as we look at this, we had a great chat with Jesse Sanchez of MLB.com, the national baseball reporter, uh, works on MLB Pipeline as well. And Jesse gave us kind of the rundown of everything. But Andy, as you look at this international prospect pool, what kind of stood out to you most at the Cubs of the players the Cubs signed? Yeah, I mean, it was it's a it was an interesting class. Uh, a lot of the, their pool money, obviously, it's interesting because you always see um, – you know, they traded away X player for, you know, international bonus pool money. And it's like, all right, what does that mean? Yeah. We see it now today, right? Or we see it uh, around this time when when international free agency opens up and you see that the money is being thrown to throw to these 16, 17 year old kids. Um, and the Cubs committed a lot of that money to, to three players. Um, and then they filled out, you know, the rest of their pool money with other players. And one that I thought was really, really interesting was Daniel Benchope, the uh, first player the Cubs have signed from Aruba which usually when you think about international signing period or international, the international signings, you kind of think of kids from, you know, the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, you're starting to see some more, uh, you know, Colombia or, or Panama, things like that. Now, you know, to see someone from Aruba, that's kind of a little, a little new one. Um, Xander Bogarts is probably the most uh, well-known uh, Arubian uh, baseball player. It, it's it's a growing thing we're seeing in the international signing period where we're seeing players from other countries. The Dodgers signed someone from from Spain um, in the offseason or in, in this period. So it's 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 very fascinating to see things like that. Um, and, and, you know, the the Aruba one really still got still got to me. Yeah, and that's something that we picked Jesse Sanchez's brain about. So let's get to that chat. Uh, Jesse has been working at MLB.com since 2001 and really has a, a laser focus on the international signing period. Jesse, we caught a glimpse of the Cubs international signing hall. What stood out to you most about this group of, of players that we saw the Cubs Inc.? You know what? The Cubs consistently have been among the most aggressive and the most active teams on the international market. I mean, you can look at their roster, you can look at players they have, the players they used to have, and they're right up there with the, uh, you know, the best because they have, they sign players that they end up producing, you know, whether they produce for their current club or they become trade pieces. Um, specifically this time, a couple guys were on our top 50 prospects list, our top 50 international prospects. Alexis Hernandez, shortstop. He was our number 18. And then uh, Adon Sanchez, another infielder, he's a third baseman. So he was ranked at 30, uh, 43. Oh, there's another shortstop, Jefferson Rojas, who signed for a million dollars. So each of these players signed, uh, let me see, Alexis 1.3, uh, Sanchez 1.5, and Rojas 1. So that tells you, you know, these are million dollar players. And uh, so the club obviously committed a, a, a lot to these, a lot of resources. They only had, 5.1, three went to these three guys. So that gives you kind of a, it's pretty telling of what the club thought of these three players. You mentioned Alexis Hernandez, um, brother of Christian Hernandez, one of the top uh, prospects last year. How do the, the two of them kind of compare? Well, 
you know, it's, I think they were pretty similar. They're both five tool players, you know, lots of potential middle infielders. Um, they both can run. There's, there's a lot to like about both of them. And they, they compare very favorably. I think that's what happens sometimes on the international market. Um, people look at the family, at the bloodline. They'll, they'll check out the brother and then they'll circle back to the little brother. You know, so if you look, um, another person who signed this year uh, with the twins, Brian Acuna, that should that last name should ring a bell, you know, and will he be as good as his big brother? I don't know. The guy's phenomenal. But um, what I'm saying is there's a lot of family bloodlines and the name recognition out there. I mean, if you want, uh, there's another guy, uh, Cesar Sturis. You guys remember him, former big leaguer. We had a nephew that signed, uh, Victor. Um, so, so if you look up and down, you know, the, uh, the international list over the, this year and, and in the past, you're going to see bloodlines all over the place. And, and there will be inevitably be comparisons. And I think what happens at first is people will see the last name, they'll give them a look, and then they'll evaluate on their own, see who they are, see who they're not. I think everybody knows sometimes it can be unfair to compare brothers to each other. You know, but uh, that's it happens sometimes. But uh, and we'll see how this Hernandez turns out. Jesse, you mentioned that Adon Sanchez. Um, am I pronouncing that first name right? Yeah, Adon. Yeah, Adon Sanchez. Um, he was ranked 43rd by MLB.com's top 50 international prospects. Uh, listed as like a catcher, third baseman kind of combo. Can you give us a little scouting report on him, and maybe in your opinion, the likelihood that he maybe projects to kind of stick at catcher versus that like alternate position of, of third base. Cause I know he has also played at the hot corner. You know, I think what the really stands out about him, he's an offense first prospect, right? So if you have a bat, you will play. So they're going to find a place for him. So the beauty of his, that he has ability to play third, he can even pitch a little bit catch or whatever, but the bat's going to play. So when he gets, you got signed for his bat and the athleticism to be able to play multiple positions. You know, um, the athleticism is going to help him behind the plate. It's going to help him on the field, you know, but I think he's just an intriguing guy. He's six foot one, six foot, six foot one growing around 190, you know, like tons of projectable body. They expect him to grow. You got to keep in mind, these guys are young. They're 17 years old. So they're still growing into their adult bodies, their man bodies, you know, the, the bodies that they're going to have when they're 25. I mean, there's, as we know, we see major leaguers, you see them in their early, you know, early twenties. That's not what they really look like when they're in their late twenties, they continue to get bigger and bigger and stronger. So um, what we see now is potential six foot, six foot one, 190. And there's project. He's going to get even bigger. He's going to get even stronger. They're going to find a place for him to play because it's the bat that people want to see. And then Jefferson Rojas, um, what what should Cubs fans kind of, you know, get to know about him and what have, what, what have you heard about him? You know, he, uh, he's another guy that the uh, Cubs really think has tons of athleticism. You know, they feel like he can stay at shortstop. Um, what happens is in the, in the international market, who gets signed a lot are the center fielders, middle center fielders and shortstops. Um, and they hope – People stay there. The perfect world, these guys stay in the middle. But the reality is their bodies change, their skill sets change. Maybe they develop faster. Maybe they slow down. Maybe they're too big for shortstop. 
you know, maybe they're too big for center. So they'll move them to right field. They'll move a shortstop to third. Um, it doesn't happen often, but they'll move them to first base. Definitely second base is an option. But I think right now they signed Rojas to play short. And if you have too many shortstops, that's a great problem to have. If, I mean, if you can play shortstop, you can pretty much play anywhere on the field and on the infield. And I think when you see teams like the Cubs or other teams who have a long track record of success on the international market, you're going to see tons of shortstops. And you hope they end up there, but they can play anywhere because they're so athletic and their skill set allows them to play different positions. We talked about the three, you know, kind of quote unquote headliners. Um, but what about the rest of the class? I know there was uh, Daniel Ben, ben Shope, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, correct me, but the first player from Aruba that the Cubs have signed. Uh, what about him and then the rest of the class uh, that the Cubs signed this year? You know, I think the Cubs approach was sign these three big guys. And remember, they have five point, you know, 5.1 million. Sign these three guys and then take a shot with smaller bonus pools for the rest. Because as much as we like to pay attention to million dollars players, we do that in an international draft. We do that international signing period. We do that in the domestic draft. We always are kind of pay a lot of attention to the uh, dollar figures. Well, what happens is not every million dollar player pans out. So say, yes, the uh, Cubs spent three million or more than almost four million on, on three guys. Maybe it's the other 15. Maybe it's one of those guys that hits. You know, maybe it's the kid from Aruba. You know, maybe you, you go up and down the list where it's a, a kid we're not even going to think about or even talk about. He signed for $10,000 and he grows and develops into uh, a player. Um, I've covered this market for a long time. Like I said, I covered baseball for over 20 years. And I'm really impressed with what the Cubs do in terms of the international market. I mean, their leadership is committed to it. And that's where it, it counts. I mean, the leadership all the way up from ownership, you know, goes down to the Dominican Republic. It's, and I don't see that a lot. You know, I definitely see general managers. I definitely see front offices. But it's rare when you see an owner go down. In some cases that I've seen, maybe they go, I'm not there, obviously, can be around everywhere. But I just know they have the Cubs have a reputation of going down there from the top all the way to the bird dog scout who's just looking. It's, it's a full organizational commitment. And that's why you can look at your rosters and you can look at who they traded. You can look at uh, minor league rosters and it's evident there. You know, these guys are committed to the international game because the reality is there's only so many ways you can acquire talent, right? Trades, um, the draft, minor league acquisitions, you know, minor league trades, free agency, but the international signing period is as important or more important, I'd argue, than a lot of those. Or, you know, because I think you have to put all those on equal footing because these players are the ones you want to be the next stars. You hope they be the next stars, right? You hope he's 19. You hope he's 22 and in the big league and he's the next guy. But maybe these guys are also filling out your minor league roster. Maybe these are the ones who come on a little bit later and they're, they're big leaders at 25, maybe not 19 or 20, or maybe the guy you package and you try to bring someone back. I mean, one of the funny stories, I think this relates here, especially this podcast, Elo Jimenez, 
you know, he signed uh, with the Cubs, you know, seems like a long time ago. And I remember asking him why he signed. And he told me he liked Sammy Sosa and the colors. He, <laughs> the colors. And he was 15, 16 years old, you know? Yeah. So uh, uh, he signed for the colors. And, oh, yeah, money helps, right? <laughs> um, but they pack and they traded him away. And, and, that, and that happens. You, 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 you trade talent away. You look on the other side. Um, once upon a time, the, the White Sox signed Fernando Tatis Jr., you know, and they traded him away um, to thinking they were going to get a championship piece. So what happens, right? So I think fans, baseball people, um, anybody who cares about the game or kind of the inner workings and also what the future of your team looks like is going to look like, you pay attention to the international signing period. Yes, there's 16. We all know that. If they're going to, at best, maybe three years or four, maybe, right? Four, and they'll still be young, 21 years, 20 years old. That does happen. But the beauty of like joining this podcast, uh, going on other podcasts, uh, our work at MLB.com and MLB Pipeline is shedding light on these stories when they're 16 years old. And you get to follow them all the way through their minor league career. So when they get to the big leagues, you, you know who they are, you know, because we've been talking about them. We've been writing about them. We've been, you know, sharing funny stories about uh, Eloy loving red, white, and blue. Jesse, as you mentioned too, like obviously that, that process to get to the big leagues includes a lot of transition it's you know going over to the states and with the cubs these young prospects maybe they'll spend a year or two in the dominican summer league before they go stateside but just in your experience jesse like what is what is the key to the international signings transitioning to the states and, and how can teams make that process easier for players well i kind of compare it to like the college recruiting process right maybe the five star or blue chip or whatever they're referred to now um you, you recruit the player, you recruit the family, because basically when, when families want to know that their player is going to develop as a player, but just as importantly, develop as a person, are, are we going to, am, am I going to send my kid to a team that's going to have English classes? Am I going to send my kid to a team that's going to have um, high school equivalency or even advanced above high school? You know, there are a lot of things that go into teams, I mean, kid parents and kids picking which organization to go to. Yes, money is a factor. I mean, we can't pretend it's not, but there's a lot that goes into it. So I think the clubs that are most successful as getting to getting guys to go through their system and to develop and to perform and maintain, they focus on the overall development of a person. So they have these. Uh, development programs in January. You know, these kids sign now, there's going to be a program in January. Every club's going to have something. And that's going to be the physical part, but that's also going to be the mental part of it all. How do you handle being a professional? How do you know classwork? There's a lot that goes into um, being a professional athlete. And I think it is not, baseball is very hard, but the easiest part is the baseball part because that's what they're good at. That's what they're great at. That's where it's, you know, you got to continue to work hard. They're by not even close to being finished products, but they're good already. You know, I think the teams that are most successful are the teams that 
look at the entire person and help develop you as a person. Because whether they make it in baseball or whether they don't, you still want them to be a good person, you know, a, a developed, well-rounded human being. So I've been to the Cubs Academy and I've been in their computer rooms. You know, I've seen their classrooms. I see what they do. I've talked to their coaches. And I see that I compare it to kind of like a college campus almost in some ways, because they're out there working hard. They're getting practice. They're doing their thing, right? But they're also care about the person as they develop, because these are young kids. I mean, I say kids, but they're 16 and 17. That's a kid, mm -hmm. you know? So you have to think about that. You think about your investment. You think, well, how are they going to contribute to your club in the future? And so, you know, a team like the Cubs, who I have tons of respect for, and I've seen do a lot of good work down there, they are the ones among the, the leaders in trying to establish, you know, well-developed people who happen to be good baseball players. I mean, I've seen it with my own eyes. Uh, really quickly, I know, you know, it's a busy time for you, but just uh, going back a little bit about Christian Hernandez signed last year, getting to know him a little bit, and then Reginald uh, Preciado, the, the, the player the Cubs got in the U Darvish trade. What can you tell us a little bit about those two guys? You know, I think you should just, just keep an eye on them, right? Um, they're still young. They're still developing. Expectations are always going to be high, especially when you come over in a trade. I mean, what I tell fans, I know, I, yes, I write about baseball, but I'm also a baseball fan. You know, I appreciate the game. And I think sometimes we get so excited when we get our favorite team gets a, a player, you know, like, hey, he better be worth it. We traded our guy for him. You know, so you put these expectations on young people, young players. And I would just, you know, advise folks to just be patient, you know, let the kind of process take care of itself. Um, but look at the track record of your organization. Look what they do. Look at your roster. You know, it's going to work out either. I mean, the, the Cubs are not afraid to trade somebody to make your team better. They're not afraid to develop people to make your team better. And there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. And I think as fans, we just kind of sit back and we enjoy it. We get excited. We have expectations. But sometimes when they're so young, I think we just got to kind of keep that in mind. Like they're 16, 17, maybe 18. But when we were that age, we're just getting our driver's license. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so let's just not pump the brakes if we want excitement, but just perspective. Well, Jesse, thanks so much for stopping by and uh, giving us all this knowledge and insight on some guys who could be future stars at Wrigley Field. So, Jesse, thank you again. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. At Wintrust, we know true fans show their team pride every chance they get. With Cubs checking, you'll score a Cubs debit card so you can show your support every time you pay. Open today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. $100 required to open. Member FDIC. All right, that was an awesome chat with Jesse Sanchez. And one of the things, Andy, that has stuck out to me so much about this period, uh, not just that we actually have some news and stuff to write about during a lockout, which has been awesome, but I really like this mid-January international signing period, having it open on January 15th. Because prior to COVID, you know, obviously we've seen this international signing period the last two years. It was just over a year ago that the Cubs signed Christian Hernandez, as we just talked with Jesse about. But I, I really like it now versus when it used to be. Pre-COVID, it was like the first week of July. It was usually, I think, July 2nd that the international signing period would open. And so that was great, but it was during the middle of the baseball season and it was right before the all-star break typically. So there's always a lot of other things going on that this didn't necessarily get the kind of um, 
the kind of you know like focus that that it was uh that it deserved and so i think it's really cool to have something like this in the off season have it in the middle of january i don't know for sure if if this is going to stay this way or not but like i really like it i like it like this i like the mlb draft instead of during kind of a random week in june to have during the all-star break and and just going into that all-star break where there's not a ton of big league action going on and big league news so i kind of like this period so far and I, i really hope it's something that continues I agree with you hundred percent because uh, you know, there's obviously this, this year's different with the lockout, but we, but in the you know last few years, we've seen where there's kind of a lull in free agency around this time, this kind of rejuvenates the sport. And, and same thing with the draft. I think as a fan, when you're a fan and you're watching, you know, you're following your team throughout the season uh, and, and it's June and you're, you know, you're starting to kind of get an idea of what your team is. And then it's like, Oh, here's the draft. You know, you don't really necessarily pay attention to it because you're more focused on the big league team. And you might see who your team drafts in the first round or second round, uh, but you don't really see anything else. Whereas when it happens at the all-star break, it's the sole focus. And you know, you, you can dedicate all your time to, to seeing how your team did in the draft. I just think it's, it's good for the sport. And, and, and it really kind of, you know, keeps the, the enthusiasm about, about the sport going. Yeah. And I like, like Jesse Sanchez said that, you know, it's, there's a lot of attention that should be focused on this and, and there has been in the past, but because these guys are 16 and 17 and they're so far away, it typically doesn't get as much focus as, as the, the amateur draft even, because those guys are, are college collegiate prospects or high school prospects. And they've played, there's a, there's a tape, there's a track record of these guys playing in the States and, and a lot more information out there about them too. But these guys, a lot of them are, are obviously, you know, integral part of every big league team success. I mean, we talked with Jesse about Eloy Jimenez and Glaber Torres was in that same international signing class as Eloy Jimenez in 2013. And Wilson Contreras was an international uh, prospect. And obviously look at how he's come up and, and right. been such, you know, like a rock for the Cubs and, and one of the best catchers in the game. So it's certainly a very interesting period. And it, it's also just kind of fascinating to, to look back at past classes, you know, like 2013 or 2015 or 16 or whatever, because it takes so long because these are 16 and 17 year olds that, you know, even Ronald Acuna was international signing, but he broke into the league at, I think he was just, just before his 20th birthday or when he was 20. So, I mean, he had four full years in, in the brave system before he got to the big league. So um, definitely very cool, but it's also something that's almost like just a very far, um, far future kind of focus for us here. Yeah. And I think something that, that Jesse brought up that is really important too, is, I mean, you think about uh, everyone's highlighting the, you know, the three big names that the Cubs signed this off season, but a lot of times, there's there's those players that were signed for less money um that that were the big names you know plenty of teams have signed to a player for you know five ten thousand dollars and they become you know big league stars that get uh six figure contracts so you know just because the 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 one million dollar guy maybe doesn't pan out that doesn't mean that that class was you know a total dud uh or, or not a success you know there's there's plenty of instances where players you know, aren't the, the flashy guy. And we see that in the draft, right? Where there's, you know, a 30th round pick who, you know, uh, is, you know, stars out of the bullpen for a team or becomes a, a starting, a good starting pitcher for the team. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a crapshoot um, at the end of the day, sometimes because of how young they are, you know, and you, you think back to when I was 16 or 17, you know, if I was, I was nowhere near mature enough to be a professional athlete. I, and I can't imagine what it's like for some of these athletes when they have to, you know, not only, 
when it comes to the international period, you know, become a professional, but then do it, uh, uh, you know, in a foreign country, in a foreign language, in a foreign setting. Um, it's, it's totally different for, for them. And, it, and it's sometimes not easy to adapt. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, 16, 17, we're in high school and, yeah. and like, we're not the people we are now, you know, we wouldn't be, uh, if I look back at my 16 year old self, like not only was I not even as good an athlete, which is probably saying a lot even still, but <laughs> yeah, like you just, you just mature so much. You fill yeah. out so much. I, when I was 16, I was like 145 pounds, you know, like yeah. I was like, I've grown it and, and adapted so much and you just mature. And for these kids to be, you know, taking English classes or taking yeah. high school level classes or post high school classes and, and getting a more of a knowledge base beyond just baseball, because like Jesse said, baseball is the easy stuff, but, yeah. but that's how teams can, can manage that variance because there, there is a huge variance between some of these players. You don't know what they're going to become. You don't know how they're going to handle that transition period. So, um, and you know, the Cubs have poured a lot of efforts into that. You know, we just heard about how it starts from the top from Tom Ricketts going down and seeing a lot of these players, but obviously the Cubs have invested a lot of time and, and resources and coaching power into the Dominican Republic and their, their facility down there. And then in Arizona, when, players come stateside. I mean, the Cubs have a state-of-the-art facility in, in Mesa as well that can help with, with younger prospects year-round, not just the guys that are there for spring training. So it's definitely a, a very cool thing to do. And and I mean, we'll, obviously time will tell and we'll see what happens with with these players. Um, but, you know, Andy, as you, as you look at this group, it, it's only been one year for Christian Hernandez, uh, just a few years, Reginald Preciado was the Padres international signing in 2019. Obviously, he is now in the Cubs system as a headliner of Darvish. But, you know, is there one guy that you're maybe looking at of this international group that you are going to keep a close eye on over the next few years? Yeah, I think it's it's the guy you mentioned, right? Christian Hernandez, who was, you know, he was the marquee signing for for the Cubs last year. And, and and I, one thing that is is interesting to me that Jesse brought up is a good point is, you know, a lot of these players are signed as middle uh, the middle of the field, right? They're a catcher, they're a shortstop, or they're a center fielder. And that doesn't mean that in, you know, four or five years, whenever they're up, that they're going to be that position. You know, it's just, you know, I kind of think of it like, uh, like Little League, right? Your best player is a center fielder, but it, or a shortstop, but if he's on an all-star team, you know, maybe he's a left fielder or a third baseman, whatever. Um, and and that, that's probably the case here. Um, is, is Preciado the, the shortstop of the future? Maybe. Um, is he the third baseman of the future? Possible. You know, you just don't know uh, in terms of what the, the, the end product can be. But I think it, some, someone like him is very exciting to see, um, just especially um, with the tools that he has and the makeup that he has of, of what he can be in the future. Yeah. And one thing, obviously, to keep in mind here is any of these guys, it, it's not they don't have to hit with the Cubs to be successful yeah. because they can be a part of a, a big deal. I mean, we already saw that with Preciado because it, teams aren't trading double A AA or triple A prospects. It's pretty rare that guys get to that level and then are being dealt because right. teams are kind of hoarding that. So a lot of the a lot of the, the prospects on the trade market right now are that kind of low A guys or even guys before that in rookie league prospects as well so uh some of these guys whether it's alexis hernandez or adon sanchez or some of these other guys could could be a part of future trades uh or obviously like we said like we could see them at Wrigley field in a few years as well so that'll do it for this edition of the cup weekly podcast presented by wintrust don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on spotify or apple podcast and check us out in video form on the marquee sports network app and youtube thanks for tuning in and see you guys in a couple weeks